Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All the Things podcast, episode number 40, Choosing the Right Equipment. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. Let's jump right into our weekly pain points this week. So, Mike, take it away. So, this week, uh, I was working with a closed-down remote desktop environment, and that was a huge pain. So, imagine a remote desktop environment where you have only access to Bing, and that means that's it. Like, you can you can Google on Bing, or sorry, you can search on Bing and find your answer, but you can't actually click on the site to get the full expanded answer. So, no Stack Overflow, nothing. Uh, no being able to use version controls, no Bitbucket GitHub, no being able to use any sort of cloud storage. You are literally limited fully on this desktop and you have to try to do your work on there. Um, so that that was very, very difficult. It was for a client that we were working with, a larger client. Um, can't really talk about the company, but other than that, that was that took a whole week. We finally got it resolved through some uh, pressuring of IT departments but we're in a good space now. So what about you, Matt? I'm remember to bing and decide, Mike. But anyway, uh, I had to throw the slogan in there. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, my weekly pain point this week uh, it was linking services together. So like I mentioned last week, I'm having a little bit of trouble getting some, or we don't have procedures set up for a lot of our stuff. So as a result, a lot of stuff kind of keeps falling through the cracks. And one of those things is trying to get multiple apps to all sync up. So we do have some procedures for some things where I'll do something in, I don't know, Instagram, and then I'll log that in Trello, but that's like a manual procedure. There's no reminder set up. There's nothing like that. And as a result, some of those type of things, and there's several different procedures like that, will kind of, you know, go by the wayside for a few weeks. So I'll just forget to do them. So we're looking into, like I said, maybe a CRM or something like that to try to get a little automation. Uh, I was looking at IFTTT because I do use that for the odd thing. So maybe I can leverage that a little bit more, but uh, that'll be something that we share on the show once we actually have more information on it, because it's going to be quite an undertaking from the looks of it. But let's jump right into the episode here. Segment number one is going to be pricing, usage, and future-proofing. Segment number two is going to be mandatory, vital, and optional features. And segment number three is going to be specific equipment and peripherals. So I'm going to take over here for segment number one. So once you've decided on what piece of equipment you need, it's time to think about the price. Oftentimes it's tempting to go for an older model or a non-vitally damaged device. So maybe like a scratch and dent or something like that to save money. But it's easy to forget that sometimes saving money in the short term isn't worth it in the long run. What you really need to do is take a look at your particular use case and what value it offers you in particular. If you're using something in a completely utilitarian manner, then having something flawless that you know, maybe it doesn't really matter. So it could have some dead pixels or maybe the body of whatever it is is dented or maybe there's a button on there that doesn't work, but you never use that mode, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, like that uh, MacBook that we bought uh, what a year and a half ago that we just used as a building machine. We just built apps with it. So it would just sit in the corner, puff away. It didn't matter how old it was, how dented it was. It kind of just works. So yeah, that's probably one of our best examples of that kind of scenario. And actually building on that, one of the things that I that Mike and I have had discussions about recently is whenever there's something that we don't necessarily want to use, if this makes sense, doesn't we don't necessarily want to use it, but we need to use it. I always do what I'll call like I'll appliance it out. So what I, and that doesn't mean I'm going to put it in a refrigerator or something like that. What it means is is I'm going to be using it just for the utilitarian sake. You know, most people don't care about their fridge. Most people don't care about 
or they, but they will care about their computer that they use on the daily. So in this case, we didn't really want to use macOS at that period. This was a few years ago now. And so as a result, like what I would suggest nowadays is just maybe put it on a desk and RDP to into it. Just kind of appliance it out. And that way you're not seeing that dent. You're not seeing all, any of that stuff. And you're just using it for its sole function. And that goes with a lot of other things as well. Like I have a couple of uh, servers running on a uh, Raspberry Pi. The Raspberry Pi, I think it's a Raspberry Pi 2B if I remember correctly. But anyway, there's a Raspberry Pi 2B. It's literally just in the back of the room. I don't really look at it. I don't really care about it. But I use that thing just for its utilitarian sake so if you have something that you need to use and you don't really care about it like that maybe it's time to sort of appliance it out put it on a desk somewhere make it remotely accessible and only use it for whatever function it's actually doing but back to the segment here uh so an older an older model might be missing some features so maybe you'll have some reduced performance or maybe that maybe it won't be compatible with the latest software or peripherals which may or may not matter to your particular use case and it's important to find out exactly what role your new equipment is going to play when you buy it but it's also important to find out what role it will play in the coming months so you have to estimate whether I'm going to keep this for a couple months, whether I'm going to keep this for a couple years, in a couple years, is it going to be used more? What's you know what's going to happen? So if you anticipate that, so if you anticipate a growing number of projects that you need to store on your hard drive, for example, it's not advised that you buy a hard drive that can just barely store what you have today. Because then tomorrow, you're going to need a new hard drive because the other thing is already full. So make sure you kind of plan ahead there. And this kind of same mentality goes for a computer as well. If your software just barely runs on it or it's near the end of its life, so maybe it won't receive any more updates, keeping it for years on end after that will probably be an impossible or a mi- an impossible task or a miserable mess of fighting performance, compatibility, and security patch concerns. Remember that if you want longevity at a device, buying the more future-proof model is typically a good idea if it's within the budget, as buying another used unit just a few years later will generally add up to more than just a single new future-proof unit. But I'm going to stress this again, make sure you check all the pricing, make sure you balance your budget in this way, you know, make sure the pricing adds up because sometimes buying a bunch of an older unit, maybe one that's always just two years old is cheaper. Just make sure you check your pricing, depending on whatever device you're using or device you're purchasing in this case. So these pointers vary greatly based on the device that you're buying so the market you're so the market you're buying in uh what what are your plans for the device like like let's say for example you buy something that's older because you know you went through the the whole procedure that we just lied out and then you were like ah i don't really need you know in the future i don't really think i'm gonna need it but then in the future you end up needing it sometimes like that like that sometimes stuff like that's gonna happen and mike and i recently went through uh when when had an issue not really an issue, but like sort of a situation where like I recently purchased a laptop for work for myself and the, and there was another one that we were looking at uh, a different model, the one that we did not purchase and it went on sale, but like, that's nothing to kind of beat yourself up on. And that's kind of why I mentioned it. it's just, it's, it's not worth beating yourself up on. Just make sure you get a good deal. Make sure you budget appropriately. You can't guess. It's all just a gamble. You can't guess when the next sale is going to be unless something, unless something's coming up like black Friday or something like that. You can't really guess whatever, what, what the next cash back, you know, bonus is going to be or whether they're going to have a mail-in rebate next week or whatever. So just get a good deal and just kind of go with it because there's no point in beating yourself up about that type of thing. Um, it's important to note that sometimes real world conditions also affect this type of thing. So such as lack of budget or uh, availability, and sometimes that will force you to compromise on that device choice. So, and the best way to do this is to determine which features are absolutely necessary. And when you're doing this, be very discriminate against each feature because you may th- you may think that you need it or 
you may think that you need like maybe, oh, I need this RGB lighting in the, on the keyboard or I need this backlit keyboard. But really, like, you kind of don't. So be very, very discriminate about those type of things and then make sure to eliminate those features that are absolutely, like, not necessary. Yeah, so I, I totally do this all the time. And it's, it's important to note that no device that you buy will ever be perfect as well. So sometimes even if your budget is non-discriminatory, so you have an unlimited budget, whatever device you buy is going to have some un, like some of the features that you might not need might not need or might not or might need and it do, it doesn't apply there so if like you're buying something for like four thousand dollars uh and it works great but doesn't have great battery life but you need to be on the go all the time it doesn't matter about your budget you really need to get those points down what do you need out of a device like i sometimes make a list of like the things that i must have the things that i would like to have and the things that i can like completely live without uh like you know like a fingerprint scanner on my computer i don't care about that i can live without that um but if i'm on the go all the time and i need battery life then that's something that's like on the top of my list that it has to have good battery life if i'm looking at a screen all day and it has to be a big screen that's on the top of my list but if it's something that's not you know essential to my work like like let's say for me doing my web development work i don't need a good graphics card so that's not on my list that'll be on my you know like i like to have a, a graphics card uh, because maybe all game or something like that on the go, but essentially that that's not essential to my work. Therefore it's not on that essential list. So that's kind of how I do that kind of thing. So make sure definitely before you're making a large purchase, even to do some sort of a list where you figure out the features that you need from any device that you're buying. And I, and actually kind of building on that as well is, is, is the fact that it's, it's also up to how many device purchases maybe you've made recently or w- what's happening in the company. So for example, we kind of went all out on the laptop that I purchased because I'm running on a, on a rather old desktop, uh, and a rather old laptop for that matter. The newest thing I have is, uh, I, I don't I want to call it an ultrabook, but it's technically a windows tablet that just came with a keyboard. And we use that to demo things for clients. And I use it for just kind of like writing, writing articles for medium and that type of thing. So, uh, and I can develop on it as well. It's powerful enough. So like, that's kind of my newest device. And even that's a few years old now as well. Uh, So like, you know, if you're maybe starting up and you need a a fair amount of equipment, you know, definitely this is probably what you want to be doing is eliminating those, those things, those, uh, those non-essential features so that if you need to buy five or six pieces of equipment, you know, you're saving money on each so that you're kind of bringing that, bringing that price down. Um, so just, just like something to keep in mind. Um, so anyway, so doing doing this form of feature elimination can not only help you stay within your budget, but sometimes you'll need to realize instead of buying a, a used high-end model, you can get a low to mid-range model instead. And that new and that one can be brand new. And that way you can kind of take advantage of other things such as maybe a retail retailer warranty if applicable. So yeah, so that's one other that's one other kind of key feature of this is, you know, you're, you're not only are you saving money, but maybe you're getting a brand new unit that's going to be covered for longer. And you know that it hasn't been messed around with. And if it has been, you can always return it depending on the retailer warranty, of course, and that type of thing. But generally new is better than used if possible. So that's a little bit of a, there's a little bit of a pro there. So I'm going to pass it on to Mike. Oh no, this is actually my segment, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> we wrote, gladly we wrote, take over your segment yeah just just take my segment Mike. so yeah so i'm gonna actually move on to this to the second segment i forgot i forgot that i uh i'm segment heavy this week so, so i'm gonna move on to my second segment which is segment number two mandatory vital and optional features so basically determining what features you need you absolutely need from a new device uh is an integral part of any purchase decision so just like we were mentioning before and there's nothing more disappointing than buying a new device only to find out that it doesn't do all the things that you need it to 
Similarly, a device that has more features uh, than you're than you're able to use than you're able to use is typically a waste of money where you could have purchased a new lower end model for much cheaper. Again, just like I mentioned above. So in order to determine which features are absolutely, absolutely mandatory, it's helpful to imagine yourself going through a quote unquote day in the life of that device. So you could kind of take note of all the features that you'd expect the device to do. So mandatory features and optional ones, write them all down and categorize them. Now, once now once you have all that list written out, you can plan you can plan out, you know, which things can go in which category. You know, you can move things in, maybe you had it in the optional one, but you th- think, "Oh, it's actually really critical. I'll move that into the mandatory." Or you can eliminate things. So you can say, "Oh, that was I wrote that as mandatory, but I don't really need that backlit keyboard or whatever. I'm just going to get rid of that." And that type of thing. And kind of go through it and remove things that are more luxury than mandatory and add things that are more mandatory than luxury. That that's kind of the, the thought process here. And then from this, you from this you'll have a fully fledged mandatory feature list that you can use to start shopping. And any device you purchase will need to cover at very the at very least this list of mandatory features and hopefully cover most if not all of the optional features budget willing and you know outside circumstances are willing as well, etc. So this sort of buying technique will generally help you buy devices at a lower price than if you just went in unprepared, and it will ensure that your device does everything that you need it to. It's also as perspective to your purchase. So if you're doing particularly well, like let's say your business is just making a bunch of money and you just really want to get a fancy device with no budget limitation, you might be tempted to jump in and purchase the most expensive version of a given device. However, this expensive version might not come with all the features that you need. Having a list, having that list of optional and the mandatory features allows you to ensure that you get the best device for your needs. And then you can kind of see, oh, I am treating myself because nowhere in this list did it say the logo lights up or something like that. So you can kind of be like, oh, I am treating myself and I'm making sure I get all those features that I desperately need and just kind of want as well. Yeah. So with that said, like to, to actually decide on what device to use and to figure out what features it has, uh, I like to use a combination of multiple different mediums. Uh, I'll, you know, I'll Google the actual device to look at its technical specifications, but that's usually not the whole picture. I like to look at uh, YouTube uh, videos where people spend like a day or a month in the life with this device, whatever the device it is that you're purchasing, because that not only gives you the, you know, the overview of how a person is using a device, it also gives you usually its shortcomings. And any video that you watch pretty much, I, I would say over 90% of the time on any review site, there will always be shortcomings. And you'll have to see if those shortcomings will limit your usability with the device that those are the kinds of things that I always do. Uh, when I'm purchasing a device, I'll always look at all like a multiple, a multiple different mediums of the, not just like an online review of like YouTube. I'll also look at someone, you know, writing a review on like Nanantech or some other tech website, uh, because you, it gives you different perspectives and it, it'll let you know in different ways how the device is working so that you're not, you're making the right decision. Just going based off, especially never go on just based on marketing material because that marketing material is, Maybe not bogus, but it is very, um, you know, fluffed up. It's it is not one hundred percent exactly the experience with a regular person using the device. Like they'll always mention the best stuff. They will never mention the shortcomings. So a review, a non biased review from a tech channel that is known to be non biased, uh, will always be much more informative than reading the text sheets off of like the. Apple website or the Asus website, they'll, you know, they'll never tell tell you that their 
processor thermal throttles after like three, 30 seconds of use, they'll say that it can reach these crazy speeds uh, without, you know, any star indicator that it, it has some sort of problems doing the specific things that you might want to do. Um, yeah, and actually with that, uh, I think we can move on to the next segment here. Uh, it's called Specific Equipment and Peripherals. So specific this kind of segment I'll, I'll be talking about specific situations where you might need a very specific device so this will be more um more of a very specific segment so you'll you'll actually get to get to see some real world examples of choosing something or or not even it sometimes it's not making that choice so sometimes your work will make the choice for you and you just have to adapt to it and that's with my first example and i've talked about this at length uh, in previous episodes but macbooks for ios programming and any sort of uh, safari mac os debugging you have to have a macbook to be able to do those things therefore you don't really have a choice yes you have a choice between the macbooks but you have to have a macbook some usually you have to have one of the new like a newer macbook so that it can actually install the newest versions of safari because when you're you know when you're a web developer you're coding for everyone usually um, sometimes there are specific situations where you're only coding for one or two devices, but essentially you are coding for everyone for the most part. So you want to be able to test it on every device, not only test it, you want to be able to debug. And that's the big thing. Like with Mac, with Mac Safari, you can't install the new versions of Mac Safari on your windows computer and then go into the uh, developer tools. You can't do that. You have to have Mac OS. Yeah. So you have to have a Mac OS device. So the decision's kind of made up for you in, in that point. And there are unfortunately some other circumstances usually to do with iOS where you have to purchase these, these specific devices to be able to do your work. Um, stuff like iPads and iPhones as well to do any sort of iOS testing. Yes, you can do iOS testing in a simulator that 100% works just fine. But as soon as you need hardware level testing stuff like the camera, uh, if you're doing any sort of, you know, facial recognition technology, if you're doing any sort of, you know, photo booth technology, then you're going to need a device to be able to test that on. And usually the specific device that your your users will be using. And and, and another point on this, this one's more of a preference thing and also kind of a, um, it, it might, it might be good for everyone to kind of look into it at some point in their lives is ergonomic keyboards and mice. So if you're sitting at a computer all day and you're constantly typing for, you know, eight hours a day, not only is it important to have a good chair and stuff like that, but it's important to have a good ergonomic keyboard um, that doesn't strain your wrist, doesn't cause, you know, arthritis in the future and stuff like that. Um, so that's kind of where where I like to play around with different ones. Maybe, you know, test, test some out in store. I'll go to the store and I'll just see which ones I'm more comfortable typing on. And this is kind of a lengthy process as well, because you're never going to know from, you know, going to a store for five seconds and typing on it. Uh, if you're going to, if your hand's going to cramp, sometimes you'll have to kind of t bite the bullet, buy it. And then if you don't like it, if you can't, if you can return it, return it. If you can't, then, you know, it's not worth it to suffer through the pain because to save a couple dollars, it's better to invest some more money and try out a different, uh, keyboard or mouse and stuff like that. So the thing with, the thing with ergonomic keyboards and, and I've had my fair share of experience and conversations about them actually at, at, uh, at work a few times. And I remember the one guy used to always use an ergonomic keyboard. So that was specifically, I think it was a Microsoft branded one, uh, maybe in Logitech. Don't quote me on either of those, but it was one of those ones where it was like two separated sections. So it was like two separated, one for the left hand, one for the right hand. And then it was like curved up and stuff like that. So your hands are, cause normally when your hands are, if you just hold your hand up in front of your face, like it's, it's like. It, I don't know what you'd call it. It's in portrait configuration. <laughs> and then if you, if you like turn, like you have to turn your wrist to type type. And his whole thing was like, if it's more 
upward like that with like that wave shape um you're turning your wrist less and your hands are now separate so they're not being forced together in front of you and he also the same guy had a mouse that wasn't again flat on the table so you have to turn your wrist to go to it his was just actually you didn't have to turn your wrist at all it was straight up and down and he just like used it it was like a little tower mouse if you will and that's what he used and i i asked him and he said like oh you know i really like it you know it really helps my wrist and that type of thing and i've never really other than like maybe like if the desk is kind of sharp i've never really had a problem with my wrist on a on a mouse uh and i've never really had a problem with a keyboard either but asking around the office a few times, I did find that people were saying either people didn't use them, but said they were good. They just didn't use them for whatever reason. Uh, or people said they were excellent and they actually wanted them or already had them. So I don't know. It's one of those It's one of those accessories where it's literally made for humans. But for some reason, it seems like the non-ergonomic version is more popular. And I'm not really sure whether that's because people have to put time into learning them. Because it is a bit, a little bit different. Like you won't have to really learn how to type again, but you will have to get used to that keyboard. So maybe that's the reason. I'm not really sure on that. And also, they kind of have, and I don't really know if this would be ergonomic, but on mobile, they do have split keyboards on mobile. And I'm kind of wondering whether or not those are more for ergonomic purposes, and whether or not like a lot of people use them. So it's kind of something I'd like to hear from you guys about. Uh, in you know, hit us up on the socials whether you guys use ergonomic of anything like on mobile you know the touchscreen keyboards or physically on thing because i don't use any of that stuff and i don't really seem to have a problem i don't know about you mike yeah so my my thing is is that i haven't had any problems yet uh so i'm not using an ergonomic keyboard as of right now i did try one for a bit and it wasn't it made my wrists feel awkward so i i think it is very much person to person and you are 100% right. Um, it, it There is a learning curve. And maybe that learning curve is a little bit scary for some people. But this is this point is more meant for those people that actually have wrist cramps right now. Like if you're listening to this right now and you have wrist cramps, there are many, 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 many different solutions out there uh, that have different t- style of keyboards. Like Matt was saying, the split keyboard. Um, I have been wanting to try it because more and more, if you, if you put your hands on the home row, it is pretty cramped in there so i feel like having your hands spread apart a little bit might be a little bit less stress on the wrist but again i haven't started experiencing any sort of strains um that might be kind of a a bad way of thinking about it because i probably will if i don't like you know look into an ergonomic keyboard so that might be something i look at in the future but yeah i i i agree with you that it's not for everyone and the fact that you know all these keyboards are being made the same kind of layout like the most of the keyboards are the same layout is because that one this layout kind of works best for most people um so that's why they do that and and it's also something that was decided a long long time ago as a standard and therefore a lot of people learned it and therefore you know it's easier to pick up for anyone that's buying it so there is that balance. It's a really tough thing to do to switch to a completely different style of typing, essentially, uh, and having to, you know, have some lowered productivity probably for like at least a few weeks is my guess. Um, mouse, I haven't had any issues. I do have a wrist rest. So that's what I do for, for a mouse. Um, and I, I like, I only use the wrist rest when I'm programming. When I do anything else, I kind of remove the wrist rest and use a larger mouse pad. But uh, that's that's kind of what I what I'm into. And the mobile thing, I don't think that's for ergonomics, to be honest. Um, I think that's just speed. I think some people are, especially if you have a wide phone or if you have a phone in landscape mode, it's just easier to reach all the buttons with your thumbs. 
if they're if it's split and you don't have to reach into the middle i think that's literally what it's for i don't think it's anything to do with like you know thumb fatigue or something like that do you but, do yeah. you rest your wrist when you type on your keyboard yes i, I wonder do. if that's why and and do not quote me on this and i'm sure we could research this is I wonder if that's why ergonomic keyboards are are so popular. Because I do remember, and God knows if this science still checks out, but I do remember back in high school when we were learning how to type, they would always say you're supposed to type the proper form. I mean, there was a proper sitting procedure as well, but it was like you don't wrist don't rest your wrists on the wrist guard or on the desk in front if the keyboard doesn't have one to have your wrists up. And I have I do not rest my wrists on the keyboard. With That's the exception of like super flat, like because a laptop keyboard's into the device, so it's kind of awkward. I have to like, I would have to like kind of hug the laptop almost. So I that I will rest, uh, and but like on my actual keyboard, mine's still on like a keyboard rack, which is below the desk because I have a kind of a strange shaped desk. So like I don't know whether that helps because it's lower. So like I, my arms kind of naturally rest up, but I never rest my wrists on the, on the uh, wrist rest that's on my key on my keyboard. Interesting. And I wonder yeah, I if that's a contributing factor because it kind of sounded like it was when we were in high school. But I mean, God knows if that actually checks out anymore, because I'm pretty sure those videos were from the 80s that we learned from. So, yeah, I don't know. Like for for me, that feels awkward. I, it might just be, again, not being used to it. But um, yeah, I think I'm going to move on anyway with the ergonomics. Hopefully, again, like Matt said, let us know what you use. If you use an ergon- ergonomic keyboard, let us know. And it, how long did it take you to get used to it? So that's... It's, it'll be interesting information from us, and maybe we'll try it out as well. Um, but next point here is uh, larger screen laptops for more productivity. So this was a big thing for me recently where I kind of was using a 13-inch laptop, and I noticed that when I was on the go, when I was in a coffee shop, when I was uh, you know traveling, I could fit a lot less code on the screen, and therefore my productivity went down severely, uh, especially because I'm used to the three-monitor setup at home. So my next laptop purchase, I, one of the things like the what Matt was talking about, the required feature set that I needed for, for my work was a larger laptop. So a 15-inch laptop. I could even go 17-inch if it, it wasn't so heavy, but I would love to do that. So that's, that's something that you kind of want to think about as well. Uh, when something benefits your work greatly, like on a, on a overall scale, it's usually worth looking into at least to try it out. Uh, a peripheral that, that you will constantly use, usually as a developer, um, is a, a good backpack. So if you're ever traveling around, if you're going from coffee shop to coffee shop, if you're going traveling in airports and stuff like that, it's important to have something that, you know, sits well on your back, can fit everything that you need and doesn't, you know, put too much pressure on your shoulders. Uh, I had issues with a, with a bad backpack for a bit and it was a kind of a nightmare, um, you know, loading up. It wasn't even that much. It was like a laptop and, and a book or something like that. And it would already put strain on my, on my shoulders. And after, a day of traveling that strain really really like it can turn into serious back pain and you don't want that when you're on a business trip or on vacation or something like that um another thing that uh, is kind of important and it's very um it's very environment based in my opinion so noise canceling headphones versus open back headphones uh, i think it's not a one versus the other talk it's it's like when to use which one uh it, I think that people should have both, should have a set of both. So noise canceling headphones can be something like uh, a plug-in headphone, like, you know, the the in-ear headphones. It's usually headphones that seal around your ears. There's usually there's noise canceling headphones there. There's noise canceling with software. There's noise canceling with hardware. So, you you know, you how noise canceling works is it actually takes in the waves of the external environment and then tries to fight them 
like the the software will try to uh send waves at them that will cancel them out so it, it, that's kind of like the the essential thing with noise canceling but what where that works a noise canceling headphone is something where there's a lot of chatter and there's a lot of people around you where you're where you need to block out sound specifically so maybe a coffee shop i think that it works pretty decently well in a coffee shop a plane definitely works in a plane um maybe even a home office but that's again this is where kind of the open back discussion comes in because in a home office where there's not a lot of noise around you you might not have value having a fully closed out experience because it's nice to be able to hear the doorbell ring it's nice to be able to hear the out the 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 phone ring and stuff like that so open back headphones allow for voice for sound to travel inside of your ears and unfortunately noise does travel outside as well but it's not too too bad and especially again if you're in a home office or you're in an office at work it's not so important that everyone else around you can hear what you're listening to that's where where open back headphones really shine is the ability to stay aware of your surroundings so it's a really um give and take kind of platform uh and it's it, it's always kind of a tough decision so i i kind of recommend people to have both what what do you what do you think in terms of form factor do you think that you think it should be over ear or i mean i don't know whether you can get on ear noise canceling but what's your preferred form factor on ear or over ear so the the for noise canceling all i know is that you can get the in ear ones the like the the earbud kind of situations they have noise canceling uh features sometimes and especially cuz you can kind of get plugs your ears as well and then the over ears like you're talking about uh, I don't know if on-ear uh, does noise canceling. I think you're right on that. I don't think there is too much on-ear noise canceling solutions. But for me, for sure, uh, over-ear. Like almost all my headphones are over-ear. Um, I again, this is it's important to kind of get a good headphone <laughs> when you're doing that because if you're getting bad over-ear headphones, your ears will sweat. Your uh, it'll it'll put too much pressure on your head. So it's those are the, like I do spend a little bit more money on headphones for comfort. Uh, I'm not a huge audiophile, so sound isn't the most important thing to me in the world, but comfort is because I'm going to be sitting in an office for eight hours a day, so I need to be able to keep my headphones on. Uh, the Sennheisers I have right now are extremely comfortable and sound really good, and they were fairly affordable. I think they're like the HD 555s or something like that if you if you want to check them out. Um, but those, and they, I think now they come in noise canceling as well. These are open backed, uh, but my noise canceling Bluetooth headphones are also pretty comfortable. Uh, I think they're Bluetio something something something. I've you know I've worn them for an extended period of time and been fine. But it comfort is a huge thing for me in that in that situation. I'm really picky with that type of stuff. Like whenever I use over ear, my ears get super sweaty and they get like overheated. And it's really like annoying. Like I, I don't notice it for a long time until I'm like, my ears are actually overheated and then I like remove them. And it's like, Oh Jesus, I don't want to put these, these damn things back on. And then um on ear ones are the ones I prefer, but on ear, no matter what, like I have, I have good, co- I have good pairs of them and I'm wearing one right now, but uh, they always hurt my ear after like a few hours. Like when I take it off, my whole ear is just killing me. It, yeah. I think, I think I may need to, like I do have some Jaybirds and, uh, I do have other like air, not AirPods, but like uh, ear. What, what did you call them? Earbuds. I, earbuds, I keep, yeah, I keep in, trying in to keep calling them earpods now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, but Apple like earbuds. Um, mm-hmm. I think that may be the one I need to go toward. Maybe that's like the only one that really works for me because I think maybe my ears are too sensitive or something, or maybe I'm just being picky. But I always go for for on ear myself. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. If, my recommendation would be to 
uh maybe watch some like look up some reviews for over ear headphones and see what people say because there are some like i said there are some really bad ones that make your ear sweat but the ones that i've been using haven't had that issue and like i looked up specifically for that problem and people were saying that these are one of the best for that problem you know what i mean so like again it's it's using those skills that we were talking about uh in previous segments where you um figure out your your list of absolute must have so one of one for you would be comfort and your ears not sweating and then going into your purchasing decision with that in mind and looking up reviews and figuring out which ones are the best in that specific category so that would be my recommendation for you matt and maybe other people out there will have the same kind of problem and you can apply those those suggestions as well but uh yeah that's that's what i would recommend for sure um so next point would be microphones so obviously we're recording on a microphone right now uh i have a blue yeti microphone it's fine um but the main thing is is that not not everyone records voiceovers or podcasts sometimes you'll just need a microphone for uh you know conference calls and business calls and stuff like that and it's important to not have a really shitty one like if you have a a a bad laptop or an old laptop that's fine and all but don't be relying on its microphone for your business calls you want your voice to sound crisp you want people to be confident in your abilities that comes out even even through voice as well um, so it's important to kind of invest even a little bit of money in a decent standing mic or, uh, I'm not a big fan of the headphone mics. I don't think their quality is up to par. Uh, the, the ones that are attached to your, to your headset, I like maybe for gaming, they're okay. But for a business call, uh, I think the standing mic, something like a blue microphone, or, uh, I'm not even sure the other companies that are good in the space, but I've been using blue my entire career pretty much. And they've all been great. And I have, I've had plenty of compliments about my my voice quality and stuff like that with them. Um, so that, that's my suggestion with microphones. Again, it's a peripheral for a specific use case, but it's important to kind of invest invest a little bit of money into that to, to sound more professional. The other thing uh, is cable management. So cable management is not something that's going to affect your performance in any way. But for me, it's uh, it's a, I, I like a cable-less desk. And as I say that, I look around my desk, there's tons of cables on it because uh, I haven't cleaned it up in a while. But usually I'll clean it up uh, every like twice a week or so to keep it nice and clean. And I work better in a cleaner environment. So wires do not help in that kind of environment. So it's kind of like a very, very much so a personal preference thing. So right now I have a wireless keyboard and mouse. All my cables are managed behind my monitor. So you know, I can't see through my monitor. So I can't see the cables. I have I have extensive cable management under my desk. Uh, so that the, you know, when I'm looking at my desk from a different angle, I can't see the cables under it. Uh, they're all managed to the top of it. And yeah, so I, I spend quite a bit of time doing that because it essentially makes me more productive and like, you know, in a better mood, therefore I do better work. So that, and it, it is a very, it, it is a time consuming process. Uh, it's not too, too costly because you can buy stuff from Ikea. They have good cable management stuff. Um, but it, it does take time. And if, if you're not one of those people that get bothered by a bunch of cables, it's not probably not worth doing for you, but I definitely am. And I'm sure there's other people in the audience that are. So I, I, I figured I'd mention it. The thing, the thing with cable management too is, and this is, I guess, more of a question is a lot of the cables that we have, like, so this mouse, for example, that I use on the daily has like a braided, has like a braided cable. And one of the things I'm always fighting and I fought, I'm fighting it in a very hacky way is obviously like it, the mouse will come out to me, but it'll go out the back of the desk and then go toward my desktop. There's like that rub point on the back of the desk. 
And what I'm curious is, is like, do you, what do you do to prevent that? Because if it, like, if it keeps rubbing, it will like start shredding. I mean, it will eventually shred like rubber cables, but that's going to generally take a long time and the cable will be probably dead before then. But like in terms of this braid though, it'll just rip it to shreds and then it just looks like, looks like garbage the whole time. So like, do you have anything that you fight? I currently have a, now don't laugh. <laughs> I have an old dollar store flashlight with the D battery still in it, but the flashlight doesn't work. And I have given myself enough slack. And then I like put the, put the, uh, the flashlight on top of the cable as an anchor point so that the other part doesn't rub against the desk. Like it doesn't move against the desk. Okay. So (laughs) that's that's what I did. (laughs) No, it, it is a problem. And I used to have that problem. So I have a couple of solutions for people. Um, one solution is, a little bit annoying, but I find it kind of worth it for a couple of reasons. So taking the braid off. So that's not as easy as you think it would be. And I've done it before because I hate that braid stuff. Like I think it's the most useless thing you could put on a mouse. Not only does it again, do what you're saying, chafe against the desk and then like tear into a million pieces and it looks terrible. Also, it adds weight to the, to the wire for no reason at all. And makes it so that you're you're moving around and you, you feel the weight of the wire. So the, the solutions that I've seen for that, and I looked this up a little while ago, there's little um, literally cable elevation doohickeys that you can put on your desk where you run the cable and it goes up and then back down to your mouse. And that will that will elevate the cable enough so that it's not chafing on your desk at all times. And it also kind of keeps the cable in place so that when you're you're only moving it around as it's elevated. Um, and so the, the, that solves the chafing issue. And it also makes the cable not have to drag against the desk and then solves the drag issue as well for the, the speed of the cable. So, um, yeah, that, that I was going to do, and I did do that to one of my mice. I took off the braid, uh, which was a, a long and boring process of me kind of cutting a little bit, then unbraiding it, unbraiding it, cutting a little bit, then unbraiding it. So, you know, if, if people have the patience, I think it's worth it. Um, and yeah, the other thing is getting one of those little doohickeys. Now I, I can't remember what they're called. I kind of want to, I kind of want to quickly do a Amazon search for them. Um, the thing is, is like, I actually like that braid and I have bought cables because they're braided. I've bought in like so, PlayStation and, uh, like PlayStation controller charging cables. I've bought in, uh, camera sync cables, like camera to computer sync cables so that I, so that it would have that braid yeah, strangely. So, so it's definitely a preference thing. <laughs> And that's fine. Like I used to like the braid as well until it, the first time I saw it frayed, and I'm like, no, I don't. I never want. Oh, to see the fray is real bad. If it's frayed, yeah. I don't want that cable anymore. But it always frays. Uh, but the thing that I was talking about is called a, a mouse bungee. Um, a so mouse if you look bungee. that, Interesting. yeah, if you look that up on Amazon, you'll find like a bunch of mouse bungees. <laughs> it looks kind of ridiculous to be honest, because it forces your cable to go up and then back down. But um, it's kind of it kind of makes sense. In my in my mind, and I think it's it could work for people like you that like the braid and don't want it to fray. Uh, you can somehow get it working. Um, but yeah, those so th- those are the kind of solutions that I would give for that kind of problem for sure. There's even a there's even an official one by Razor. Yes, yeah, no, it's a, it's a it's a legit problem, like you're saying, right? Like it's. I mean, these are twenty four dollars, and I have a dollar store. <laughs> do it up, honestly. Do it, and then we can talk about it. Like we can talk to see if it fall, it um, solves your problem later on. Like what they what they advertise here is it, it makes it so that you don't drag your cord because you kind of lock it in place 
And then, then your cord never does fray against the edge of the desk. It just sits there. Right. Which is right. essentially what you're doing with your hack solution, right? You're making it so that it never frays against that against the desk. So no, it only moves against the the uh, the flashlight. Yeah. yeah. And then this gives the added bonus of uh, being less drag, right? Like you're not dragging your cable against the desk, and therefore it's moving a little bit smoother. So interesting um, you can yeah definitely try it out be in, i'd be interested to know how, how it works i was actually going to do it at some point and uh just i just decided to go wireless <laughs> i was like no i don't want to waste time on this anymore um and actually it leads right into my second point which is wireless peripherals so again i like a clean setup almost all of my peripherals are wireless wireless mouse uh, i have a wireless headset which i don't use too often because it's not the greatest um around the ears it's a logitech one it's great for surround sound uh but other than that i kind of just keep it hanging with a um a, uh under the desk headphone holder which is also something that's great for clean setups so again this is more of a sp- very it's a very specific thing for very specific people that enjoy clean setups that work better in a cleaner environment um not everyone is like that but i would recommend if you haven't done that yet maybe you should try it out and see if you do work better when it's clean so give your you know spend half a day cleaning your desk and see if you do have a more productive day or not just a suggestion but uh, it could work um and then the next things are kind of the miscellaneous little things like uh you know external batteries they're important in my opinion for someone that's going around going to coffee shops working on the go traveling like i think that it's important to kind of think about that stuff think ahead with what you're going to need on your travels think ahead what you're going to need on your day and stuff like an external battery to charge your phone so you're not constantly worried about plugging in is really important to have Um, external hard drives those are really important for backups on the go and uh, just transferring larger files between computers i think that having one in your bag is kind of one of those things that should every developer should have uh, whether it's usbc or whatever the regular hard drive doesn't really matter as long as again think about the purposes of every device that you're putting in and you can kind of just if you can justify not having it then that's that's fine but if you think that like an external hard drive for instance is great in a scenario where a you don't have great network connection you're on site somewhere you don't have great network connection you need to transfer a 30 gig file like how are you going to do that otherwise other than an external hard drive you'll have to like land your computers together so i mean there's a million solutions to every problem but that's what i that's why i keep one in my in my uh, bag and then the last thing here is cables again going around making sure you have the right cables at this point we're kind of in a transition phase where uh there's still micro usb and usb c i think in like five years we'll see a lot less micro usb so i'll be able to finally ditch those cables but i essentially i keep a lightning cable a micro usb cable and a usb c cable in my bag at all times uh because i don't know when i'm going to need it and i have used all three of those cables at one time you know i haven't used sometimes i'll go on a trip and i won't use any cables stuff like that um so it's important again the whole point of this segment is to kind of it's very specific equipment that you're going to need for very specific tasks so make sure that you're kind of thinking those things out uh planning planning ahead a little bit with your equipment purchases uh and making sure that you have the right equipment for for all the work that you're doing so with that i think that uh we're in a good place to move on to the next segment which is web news so i'll pass it off to you matt 
Yeah, so web news this week. I think I forgot to introduce this one, but anyway, uh, in, the, in the intro of the episode. But regardless, the web news this week uh, is app install methods and their legitimacy. So this is talking about specifically the various types of uh, app installs you could do. So if you're on a mobile phone, you could go to your, you know, the Google Play Store or the App Store or whatever store you have on your particular phone. You could also do a PWA now. So again, if your phone is compatible with it, you could install the PWA by on Android, you just like add to the home screen. You can also, without a PWA, go into the browser of your phone and literally just in the, uh, I mean, on uh, Google Chrome, I think it's like the little overflow menu and you click like add to home screen or something like that. But you could do that on iOS as well. So if the website does not have a uh, PWA. You can just like kind of add to home screen and adds an icon on your uh, on your home screen there, and then you can use it. Not not an app, like it'll open up the web page, but it's still like you know a quick access to a news site or something like that. If you're on Windows, you can of course install things the old school way, where you actually install uh, an app. Just you know, you install whatever app, and then you just run the exe. You can also install it the new way, which is going through the Microsoft Store and installing an app or a game or whatever it is through there. The list goes on and on and on. Mac has similar things where they have an app store as well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what what I'm trying to get at is over the past few years, there's been kind of talk of people getting less and less apps. And one of the things that I was, I've been trying to do more recently is kind of read. I don't like reading a lot. I don't like reading at all, I should say, but I kind of should read and get and kind of get up to date with maybe news and that type of thing. And so I was trying to figure out like what I should be downloading to read, whether it be I don't know, Reddit, or I already have that, but like whether I should be like looking at specific, like particular subreddits or whether I should be getting news site or news, uh, like getting into particular news sources or whatever. And one of the things, one of the problems I ran into was, well, do I really want to have all these news apps on my phone? Do I want to not do that and just use the website? But then sometimes the website's constantly bugging me to use the mobile app. Should I be you know, installing, cause you can do PWAs on, on computers and on compatible computers, you know, you know, if, if a, if a company is on the bleeding edge like that, should I be installing the app on my computer or should I just be having a bookmark for it? Or should I be, if, if there's a Microsoft store version of it, should I be downloading that? And so this kind of begs the question of people are starting to have less apps. They don't want to have a million and one games on their phone. They don't want to have a million and one apps on their phone, especially when an app will just sit idle forever. So, my question today and my conversation for today is which one is more legitimate to you? And the reason why I weren't use the word legitimate is because I've heard that word over the years like a while ago, or like for, for a while when apps were brand new. So specific, specifically mobile apps, people would always say, I don't really like using the, the website, even if it's mobile friendly, I don't really like using the website. The app feels more legitimate. It feels like a more legit thing. But I think that now there's too much of those, you know, apps everywhere. And people are just like, I'll just use the mobile site because I'm only using, you know, whatever website to get the information off of it anyway, the article, what have you. So which one do you kind of prefer, Mike? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so legitimacy is a, is a, is a good, is a good thing to talk about as well. Um, one, one thing that I find kind of makes an app legitimate, or at least the, what I've gotten used to is being able to go into, I'm using Android, being able to go into the settings and go into apps and then find it in that list of applications. Um, and what that gives me is it gives me insight, like that, that list of applications, when I click on an app, it'll give me all the permissions it's using and stuff like that. I kind of like that. 
And as far as I know, if you add a PWA or I, especially if you add something just to home screen that doesn't have PWA capabilities, you're not going to end up in that list. Um, and I don't know if that bothers me or not. This is kind of a conversation I think we'll have throughout throughout this web news is what at what point does that do I not care about that anymore? Because um, that used to be one of the things that kind of I like, you know, checking to see what apps updated, maybe not on a daily basis, but like a couple, you know, after a couple of days, I'll check in and see, oh, there are a bunch of apps that are updated. I'll take a look at what the new features are of the apps that I'm interested in. That's something that I'm not going to be able to see in a PWA. Like we don't, we don't, you don't get that kind of transparency uh, with PWAs. It's kind of just updates in the background on its own and then pops up a new feature, uh, a new, a new application for you. You won't. You, the developer can notify you that it's done that, but that's completely up to the developer. Whereas with with actual native Android apps, they have to notify you. And there's even some some rules saying that they have to notify you of what's been updated. Now, all, not all app developers actually follow those rules, so it's kind of a moot point anyway. Um, but yeah, um, it's, it's tough because I used to like doing that. I have noticed that I don't care as much anymore. So, and I've been using PWAs here and there. Uh, the only reason that I stop using a PWA is usually performance. I'd like the Twitter PWA that I was talking about uh, a few episodes ago. I installed the regular Twitter application and I've noticed that it's smooth, like the scrolling is much smoother. So I'm assuming that either they haven't just put enough effort into their scrolling on their webs, their website, because that's what the PWA is built from just a, a website clone. Um, or, or they just like the, the web view just can't scroll as well as a native implementation. I'm not sure. I don't have enough experience, uh, implementing a native scrolling, uh, kind of list in Android, but I'm, I don't know. I, th- I, th- I'm leaning towards the fact that they just don't invest enough money into their website to, they, they want to invest more money into their application because that's what most people use. Um, yeah, like it's, it's a purely performance thing. If they, if the PWA perform the same as the website or sorry as the uh native application uh that's i think i would still be using the pwa so maybe that's the answer is like as long as i don't notice any sort of problems with a pwa i'd rather just use that for most of the things that i do like maybe not a game but maybe also a game like i don't really who cares not having to deal with installing and updating on the app store might be a great thing it might be something that uh, App Store like owners, such as Google and Apple, will be afraid of, uh, and they might even limit PWAs in that sense. Because if PWAs start taking over, then that's circumventing their App Store. That means that they're not getting their income, um, which they could find being a problem. And I think that's kind of like one of the reasons that Apple hasn't fully implemented all PWA functionality. I think they're actually scared that people would start circumventing their, their app store. And that's, you know, a very big chunk of their money. So that, that could be a limiting factor for them. Um, but with, with that being said, if it was on fair, even ground and they had all the features, what I'm leaning towards is just using PWAs. I would, the one thing, the one thing about PWAs to me is that I find that their updates are strange. Like, I mean, we've had very limited knowledge or very limited experience with it, but our PWA will install or will install an update after. So let's say I push an update. I, I, I'm using the app and then I do an update. I push the update. I'll then use the app again. That app will still be in the old version. And then the next time I reload it, it will be in the new version. 
And I think I kind of like the deliberate deliberateness. Anyway, the deliberate like way that uh, the Google Play Store actually has updates there. And I'm sure the App Store works in kind of a similar manner where it'll be just be like, hey, this thing has an update. Like, do you want to update it? I kind of prefer that myself. Um, but I think the main thing that I'm kind of struggling with is I don't know whether I need a whole bunch of crap on my phone. Like you were saying you want it not just on the home screen, but in that app launcher as well. And I don't know if I care about that. Like I was thinking to myself, like if I go and I don't know, let's say I want to get some mainstream gaming news. So I go in and I have, I could get the IGN app, which I've had several times. I never remember to look at it there. I always just look at it on, on my browser. And I remember we were having a discussion a couple of weeks ago where you were saying that you don't really go to your browser much. I'm always on my browser on my phone. And I think that might be just a difference. Cause like, I always feel like anything on my phone in terms of like an app, not necessarily that it has to be used all the time. You know, I'm sure there's a fair bit of apps on there that just sit idle, but at the same time is I don't really need that home screen. It's not, it's not where I go to look. And I think that may stem from my usage of windows over the years. So when windows was older, so, you know, XP and before, you really kind of had to search for icons and stuff like that and make shortcuts if you wanted shortcuts and that type of thing. But then with the introduction of the search bar in the start menu of Windows 7, after that, once I realized the power of that, I didn't use like desktop icons hardly. I don't really use uh, anything else. I mostly just search for things. Like I don't really use the pins at the bottom. I don't use any of that stuff. I only use like search. And I'm wondering whether that's it's sort of the same thing for me where Yes, I will install certain apps. Like, I I think I think what I need is that I I need a legitimacy for that app, and legitimacy for me is I'm going to use it all the time, and as a result of me wanting to use it all the time or having to use it all the time, I want it to be a native app to an extent, or at least be from the Google Play Store, because then I know what its update status is, and I know I kind of like have a better knowledge of its per, of its permissions and that type of thing, and. Those those apps that fall under my this is legitimate I need it installed are generally chatting apps because I need those notifications generally right away. Same with uh, same with email. Although email I don't really use an email client on my computer. I use I use just the web the web uh, the web interface the web app because I I have sync problems or I've had sync problems in the past with things like outlook and that type of thing. And I just go the heck with this. I'm just going to do it basically essentially right on the server with that web interface. But then on my phone, I'll be like, I need a like, I need a legitimate app for this. So I don't know whether like a, like a computer to me, and, and this is, this is strange, but a computer to me really is, I'm all, like my browser is always open and I'm, I'm sure that's this case for a lot of people, but I'm always in the browser in the fact of like, I'm literally really only using the browser. Like I don't really use many other apps. I'll use the file explorer when I need to do that. And I'll use like maybe VS code or notepad plus plus certainly right to build projects and that type of thing. But I'm rarely inside of the, it's not an app drawer, but I'm rarely looking through the list of apps in that start menu. I'm rarely using, like if I just open my start menu now, like I do have, my icon set up in a convenient way. Like for example, here there's Skype, but I would never, I, ne- I forgot I even put it in there. I would just type, I would just literally hit, hit like hit start. And I would just immediately start typing Skype and then hit enter. And I don't know whether that's, I don't know what, again, like I wonder if all of this, including my mobile app behavior is all because of my windows usage. I don't, I would never install an IGN app on my computer. I would never install an a Reddit app on my computer. 
I would never do anything like that. And and strangely, on if we take a different device, totally, we take uh, my my Xbox, for example, can have apps. I've I rare like with the exception of streaming apps like Netflix or YouTube, I rarely use apps on those things. And I don't know whether and but I, I don't use the browser on there either. But I don't know whether that's because I don't even want to look through the apps because I don't normally use them. One thing I will say that maybe turned me away from apps was the fact that apps are very separate, if that makes sense. So, for example, on a lot of Android phones, and not all, but on a lot of them, you can go into the system settings, and depending on the OEM, the manufacturer, you can go in really simply and 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 actually save, uh, or uh, sorry, sign in uh, and save your OneDrive into the the file system of the phone. Whereas if you use the OneDrive app, which I do use that instead, but if you use the OneDrive app, it's not really synced to the file system. Like it is, but you access it through that app. And then you kind of have to use that interface where you're limited to like, oh, I have to share with this. I have to set this offline. I have to download this. And you're doing all that with the interface of the app. And so that's very like kind of quote unquote legitimate to me because I have like I'm saving my I'm using it for a very like fixed function, like back up my camera roll and have my files ready to use but it's going to be rare. That's why I use the app and not the file system method. But on the computer, my computer is so utilitarian that I literally just sign into it so that I, in my file explorer, I have OneDrive, obviously, like you would. And then I just utilize it there. But if there was a, a Microsoft Store version similar to the mobile app where it was like, oh, don't use the, the normal native file explorer. Use this app to browse like to browse your OneDrive. I would never do that. Uh, photos is, is, is the same thing. I rarely look at, even though my photos are, are synced to my computer and, uh, like through my OneDrive and that type of thing, I rarely use that photos app on the desktop. I will normally use the, uh, the web interface. And I don't know whether that's weird. Um, do you find yourself searching a lot on windows? Like, I think you, I think you had promise search like a couple weeks ago, Mike, and you were saying that you like would search for everything or do you do you actually use the app icons yeah so that that's i search a lot and um i'm definitely in the same boat as you where i don't really i don't even have a desktop like my desktop is i think one folder i took everything off because i literally never even went there i constantly like you have the browser open i constantly have all my screens are full of stuff like if i were to close them and go to the desktop to launch an application that would be that seems insane to me at this point <laughs> uh, because then i don't have to reform re, refactor all my screens to look at like the way they are for my productivity um so the desktop is essentially done for me like i've written it off i used to use it a lot which is weird uh, it, you, I used to have all the important information on there and would constantly minimize out of an application to go on the desktop to look for the application I was going to use. I stopped doing that completely. I use search exclusively for pretty much any application. I do have my start menu set up on Windows 10 uh, with the most current, like the most recent applications that I'm using. Um, I will put them there and I have a deliberate structure and stuff like that. And I do use those buttons. Anything outside of them, I will search. That's kind of how I roll. Um, on Mac OS, to take a different point, I don't have any sort of structure set up for the you know launching applications. I only search. Uh, they have a spotlight search there. You press the command and the space key, and it puts up like a search bar from any screen, and you can type it in, and it'll open any application. I, that that's essentially like I don't even need a dock at the bottom or anything like that. I'll just like I just search. 
Um, I don't know if that's the correct way of using Mac or not, but that's that's how I've been using it, and that's probably how I'll continue to use it. Uh, it makes sense to me. Um, so it, in that breath, PWAs are searchable, which is great. Uh, they're searchable on computer, on desktop. They're searchable on the phone. That's a big plus in that, like, without that, because, like, sometimes I would just search for Twitter on my phone. I do use the search functionality, functionality on my phone quite often, too, now. Um, so I've, like, fully integrated with that. And, so, like, if, if, if I typed in Twitter and it only showed me native applications of Twitter, then I would never have used the Twitter PWA for so long. And I used that thing for probably a year or maybe a year and a half. That's the longest I've ever used a PWA for. Um, but it's it's a weird concept. Like, I think... I think we're just weird. I think everyone is a little bit weird with their uh, style, like you, how they use applications, how they inst- like what they install, what they don't install. Because if you think about it, like I have a Reddit application, I never go on the Reddit site on my phone ever. Um, like it always opens up in a Reddit application. That's how I've done it for the very from the very beginning of using a phone. Um, and why? Like I could just go on the site, uh, but I don't. And same with like. Twitter, it's the same thing. Now I use the native application. I used to use the PWA. Regardless, I could just you know search for Twitter in uh, in in uh, Google search and just click on Twitter and go there. It's the same thing, but I don't. It's a really weird concept because like there's a lot of things that I could easily use the website for, and I don't I don't have an answer for you, and I don't have an answer for anyone out there why I don't do that. I just don't. There's like if I look on my phone. Um, there's just a bunch of different applications that I could easily just use the website for, but I don't. And there, but and then the other the other thing is is I do use websites or or like at least web views for a lot of other stuff, um, a lot of sports stuff. I will just type in the the name of the sport into Google search and I'll just do that. Like I'll just go go from there from the Google search menu. Like you say, uh, last time we talked about it, we, we, I was saying like, I don't use the browser. I don't, I never use Chrome browser. All I do is I just search in Google. Like I, I'll search within like the Google search bar on my Android phone and I'll just open up a web view with whatever the result is. Like, that's why I never use the browser. Like I do technically use a browser, but I just don't use Chrome. Um, the actual Chrome application. I just use the web view that the Google search provides me and I don't care essentially because it's faster then opening up Chrome and then hitting the search bar and searching. That's, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, but I think it's just all, it's very personal preference driven. So it's tough to see if like, if I'm weird or you're weird or everyone else is out there is weird. Like I think everyone's usage is very sporadic. Um, everyone's definition of what they want as an application and what they, they want as like just a website is also a very squiggly line. It's, <laughs> I, there's no, there's no reasoning behind it. Like they might tell you a reason, but then you'll look at their phone and be like, well, why do you use this? Like, why do you use this application when you can use the website? And they'd be like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm almost positive that on any sort of person's device, you'll find contradictory statements left and right with how they use websites and how they use uh, applications. It might just be a habit kind of thing or something, but I yeah, I don't know. I don't really have a good answer for this. I I kind of wonder whether it has to do with how they started using devices, maybe, or maybe it's like, I mean, because you were new to macOS and then you started using that search. And then as a result, like because you use the search, like your workflow will make other random features easier to use. And like they're just like nondescript things like you search now. So like 
now maybe, I don't know, keyboard shortcuts are easier for you to implement. So as a result, you'll use an application in a particular way because of that. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that I use on Windows, for example, is I use the the tiles at the bottom. So like at the bottom, if you're most people you have the tiles, if you do, you're using it incorrectly. I'm sorry. You're using it incorrectly. I do like the what I call the Windows 98 layout where on the taskbar, I have the full names written out. They do, they do not stack and they do not become a tile. I see the full title as far as I can. Now, it does truncate the title. It's not like a super long, you know, thing. But the reason why I do that is because I think it's outrageous that, for example, if I have two windows of Google Chrome open, not two tabs, two windows open, it's outrageous for me to have to look down, find the Chrome icon, drag my mouse down to the bottom, hover, wait for the thing to open up, and then I have, I have like a little interface that I can hover over and see. Now, for whatever reason, if my mouse doesn't go perfectly over that little thing, and then and it, like it could close, then I got to hover back down. And yes, these are seconds, but I'm also like a hardcore keyboard user. Like the instant I'm in the file explorer, my hands are on the keyboard almost the entire time. I know most of the shortcuts. I'm like using the shortcuts to move windows around, open new things. Uh, I'm using keyboard shortcuts to make folders, delete folders, copy, paste, cut, all that like basic stuff. And then, you know, even furthermore, I have a bunch of other keyboard shortcuts that I use throughout the OS. And so... I wonder whether that is like a major factor, whether having having the capability of like for me, I really want to be able to look down at my window. So right now I'm looking at it. I have a, a Google Chrome. I have Google Chrome open. It says episode 40 dash. And then that, then it says like choose it. And then it like it's cuts off. But I know that that's my episode 40 show note. Right beside it, I have my Microsoft Teams thing, which is the thing that Mike and I talk in. I don't need to look for the icon. I don't have to do any of this other crap. Beside that, I have another I have another window there that has literally a folder, and I can see the folder name, and that folder name is a project that I'm working on for a client, has, my, has the client's name right there, and I can literally just click on that. I know that's what it is. If I had multiple explorers open, like multiple windows of Explorer open, meaning the file explorer within Windows, I would literally have to... Do the same thing. You know, you move the down there, you hover, you find the thing, you click it. And then what if you clicked on the wrong one? Then you got to go move back down there, hover, wait. It does a little transition. Then I have to click it. It's too slow. And sure, it's I ha- I'm using a lot of space per window. Like I have WhatsApp open here. And my WhatsApp is like rather large. Like, like the word WhatsApp is much shorter than the actual full little, little bar, little thing at the bottom. But... The fact of the matter is I know exactly what that is. There's an audacity one here. There's an administrative command prompt here. And it's a lot faster for me to switch. Now, you now people might say, well, if you're using the, sh- the, the shortcuts, you might use the alt tab. But that's not, but like, and I do use that sometimes, but even that's slow because you got to toggle. But, but regardless, my point is, is that in a chatting application, I think that, I think what it is, is like, let's say I'm working in a, in a, in Chrome. So let's say I'm just testing a website really quick and then you message me. Now you message me and it goes to the Teams app, the Microsoft Teams app. It's faster for me to look down at the bottom, see the Microsoft Teams thing glowing orange, click on that, and then I am in. Rather than me looking to see which tab out of like 10 tabs that are open is 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 uh, the Microsoft Teams tab. It's much faster that way. And I'm curious as to whether that's why I do it like that on a desktop where I have specific apps, like I have Slack on here, Discord on here, etc. I wonder if that's why it's like that for for myself on desktop, just because I'm like a keyboard warrior, for if you want to add a lame title to it. And so, maybe that's the reason. But then on a phone, it seems more official, because like I, I don't have a taskbar, I don't have all that crap. So it's like, it's like oh, I'll just use the, like, I'll use the most official way 
to do it. Like this is my mobile experience. And so this is how I learned how to do it. I, I have a phone. I have apps. This is how I do it. Maybe that's kind of the reason why. I don't know how much shortcut or how many keyboard shortcuts you use, Mike, whether that's like a, a factor for you as well. No, I use like all tabs and I'll use uh, the window snapping shortcuts and stuff like that. And I'll use like a screenshot short, shortcut and snipping tool shortcuts and all that. Like I, I do use a lot of shortcuts. Um, I do see the value in how you have the bottom bar set up. I don't, I don't agree with all the points that you're saying, but um, sometimes I do have issues where like, especially when you said administrative window open down there uh, and you know which administrative window it is right away, like if if I were to do that, it would just show me like a little like control panel icon. Um, and I would have to like, I wouldn't know, but just by looking at it, what could, what part of the control panel is open, which is kind of annoying. Um, the stuff like having multiple Chrome windows open, uh, I don't know. Like, I, again, I have to hover over to figure out which one is like, you know, f- switching between them. I have to hover over that. Um, that's not a huge issue for me, to be honest. Uh, like the, 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 your team's, uh, comment like I for me it's just the teams icon so and it, and it has a little notification if it's if there is a notification if it, and it, it'll flash so I think it's the same thing for both of us yours Team, teams is ha- different because I don't use the title yeah. like the text right it, exactly yeah yours just says teams but uh, mine doesn't mine just has the icon so I do agree in some cases where I think that that would help me um have that little like switching but essentially i do most everything that like you do is that i i do use um keyboard shortcuts quite a bit uh in terminal i've been using a lot of keyboard shortcuts and stuff like that uh so i'd be getting more used to it um but yeah that i don't i don't know it's a it's a tough topic because it's so you i think you're right in the sense that it's it's very much a conditioned thing where I started using it like this and now I'm always using it like this. And I don't really have a good explanation for why I'm doing it. And it's the same thing on my phone. Like I started downloading applications and installing applications. So now I'm always going to install applications. And that's really kind of a sad mindset if you think about it, because I really do believe in the future of PWAs and these installable, like not having to install applications, especially for uh, like news sites and smaller, less interactive um, applications where you don't need as much power, as much raw power from your device. I think like really PWAs are a great source for that. And But the other, the, my worry now that we've had this discussion is that people will be reluctant to adopt a different way of using applications just because they haven't used it like that. Like they'll just be, you see that you can install it from the web and then go to the store and try to find it in the store because that's how they've always done it. Because it's not like we're not catering or most of our applications aren't catering to other developers or other tech savvy people. We're catering to the very untech savvy, the people that just want to use their phone as a utilitarian device and be able to do the things that they want to do. And when they get set in their ways, they're really set in their ways. Like it is almost impossible to to change their minds, to put them in a different direction. Like if you if you notice any sort of update for a major website like Facebook or Reddit or anything like that is met with massive, massive uh, feedback. And that's because it's not the developers that are run, yelling about it. It's the regular people that have used, you know, I've, I've clicked the photos button on the left-hand side in exactly this place for three years. And if I don't click it there, then I'm going to panic. And that that literally is how a lot of people are. They don't understand, like they just use the things as very much like tools, like you would a hammer. Um, but they don't understand the evolving nature of these applications and the, the, the need to progress and the need to change things up 
and and evolve into a better and more cohesive society like they don't care about all that like we're that's talking gibberish to them uh, it might be even talking gibberish to some of you because you you use a lot of your applications like utilitarian stuff too but again it it is important to kind of keep your mind at least a little bit open to new ideas and new methods um because otherwise technology has a very very tough time progressing because change begets change like we we want change we especially in in our industry we constantly have new new features being thrown into the mix we constantly want to you know dump older browsers but it's very difficult to do because there's a lot of people still using these older technologies and the older ways of thinking so i th- i think that's where i'll leave it with that like just let's maybe i'll try something different <laughs> maybe i'll try to use more web applications on my phone maybe i'll try that um just a new method of thinking about what i'm using like i don't yeah that's that's what i'm going to do well, the thing is, is like to me too, is is yes, I understand that we need to like keep evolving technology, and I don't really get mad when Facebook like moves a button. Like I'll occasionally will and be like, ah, oh, fuck, like why did they move this? But then like it's kind of a, a very much like a swear once and I'm over it kind of thing. Like I'll freak out for like a moment and then I'll be I'll be over it. And I'm definitely not one of those people that will like like message them and like freak out or whatever on them and stuff like that. Like I'm not really into that type of thing just because I know I'll get used to the UI. I think it's more so like a thing where I think there's a, when, when a, when a use case is so ingrained in you, like if they, I remember when I was in the windows 10 insider programs, I was using a beta beta version of windows 10 and it was one build that, so if if you don't know this, when you're using Windows Snap, with the Snap Windows to different things, if you have the window selected, you can hold down the Windows key and use the arrow keys to move the window around. And if you have two, um, let's say the window is full screen on your main monitor and you have a monitor on your left, you can you can hit the Windows key and hit the left arrow, like hold it, keep holding the Windows key and hit the left arrow, and it will snap to the left side. And then it will like snap eventually over to the right side of the left left thing, like it will slowly like roll, essentially roll itself over to the left monitor. They got rid of that where it wasn't across two monitors. And I was like freaking out about that because like that's not only like, oh, like it's, you know, if they told me install an app for Windows Snap, I'd be like, it's kind of dumb, but okay, I guess I'll do it. You know what I mean? I guess I'll have to enable that feature. But like the fact that that was gone on one of those builds, whether that was a bug or something, I don't know because it's, it's not like that in the full Windows 10. But like I remember literally submitting feedback because they were like, oh, everybody like please submit feedback. I remember submitting feedback being like, this is a massive blow to like productivity. Like now I have to snap it over to the left or like keep it open full screen. And like, I understand this is like only a couple seconds, but like to lift my hand off the keyboard, grab my mouse, click and hold it, drag it over to the other window. Then I can use my keyboard again. And I was like, this is the stupidest thing. Like this is a massive blow to, to productivity. And it's such a serious problem. Whereas on the phone, you know, something like a PWA to an app to me doesn't really matter. But at the same time, if mobile websites disappeared, I'd be like, this is friggin' stupid. What if I just want to like read this news source, you know, for the next few days and then install your app? Like if I'm brand new to your news source, why do I have to install your app? I think it's, I think people get more upset when it's, when it's a part of that ingrained ideology or not even an ideology, but it's like the way they think about using the machine more so than like, uh, like obviously digital cameras is a new way to use the machines, but it's clearly better. And I think people really I've taken to that over like, you know, how I now I have to go to the store and get my film developed. And one other final comment is I think that people who learn computers by where the buttons are, uh, 
so people that are newer to computers, whether that be, you know, a new generation or an older generation, memorizing where the buttons are is a bad way to do it. And, uh, I taught my parents this way originally, and they've been, they've been changed from that since, because I made a terrible mistake where I was, I would always be like, Oh, third button from the left. Just remember that. Cause it was easy for them to remember that. And they would then, you know, you on the VCR or whatever, they would press play. That would be the play button, you know, three from the left. But then it just became this problem where it's like, oh, they upgraded to a blue player. Well, there's not there's not a row of buttons. There's a column of buttons. Now what? And it's not three from the top. It's like eight from the top or something. And then it's this whole problem. And I think that maybe people are learning Facebook in that way, for example, and other pieces of software where they're like, oh, my photo button is always two from the top. But my new method of teaching people is read the screen. Like, read the screen and figure it out. If you want to use photos, look for the, the button that says photos. Don't just you know, blindly memorize three from the top, three from the left, use, you know, find photos. And I think that when people stop freaking out, maybe that's how they do it. Um, maybe that's it. And, and this is getting off topic from installing apps, but I think this rudimentary usage of a device is essentially what drives your, drives your legitimacy thinking, if you will, of an app. Like, oh, is, do I use this all the time? I guess I'll install it. You know, or maybe I'll bookmark it. Like, you know, maybe people learn bookmarks first and they just bookmark everything and that's how they do it. Maybe people don't like doing that and they want to have it installed. Like, it, it, I think th- that the answer lies in the root, but everyone's different. And I'll kind of leave it at that as I think that that, like, as a, as a closing note, I think that your usage of a device is based on your experiences and your initial experiences as well. Probably a lot influenced. Like, I started on Windows. I did not start on Mac. Therefore, all my keyboard commands and everything are all on all from Windows. When I go to a Linux machine, uh, I use I use the um, I often don't even install uh, a UI. I just have the command prompt, and that's because I don't like I I often mess up the commands too because I accidentally type in Windows commands. But I'm so used to just using the keyboard, even though I'm using a UI on Windows, that I would prefer the terminal on on Linux because it's faster because I don't have to lift my hands off the 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 keyboard. So it's like that kind of like lays into that. So I'll kind of leave it at that, I think. Uh, but I really, really like to actually hear what you guys think and how you guys do apps, because I know that the app landscape is ch- is changing, especially since there's a new generation starting to use apps, as well as the fact that there's a bunch of apps or app install methods now on PCs, on Macs, on, on, on phones, on, you know, whatever, on your Sony PDA. Please don't use those things still. So because um, those things are old. I wonder if there's anyone that still uses them. Actually, I'm sure. I'm sure there is like, like a legitimate one that would connect to like cellular. Like, I think there were some, right? No, no? I don't think they would even work anymore. Right. They would, they, they connected to, uh, I think it was two G or something like that, which is, well, I mean, in, in Canada has all been disconnected. I don't even know if it was a PDA at that point, man, that's old, man. That, that'd be, yeah. well, if you, if you use a PDA, just message me. Cause that's, that's, that's awesome. And like, that'd be, that'd be a great, that'd be, that's fa- That's a fascinating piece of retro tech. Cause I do like retro tech. But please try to upgrade. Don't just get used to that PDA, because Jesus Murphy, there's a lot better. There's a lot better stuff out there right now. But anyway, just because just because of the times. But anyway, unless you have anything else to say, Mike, I think it's time to run the old conclusion. Runner up. Alrighty. Well, thank you for listening, and make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice. You can follow us on these socials, which is at HTML All the Things. That's on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us on Twitter via at HTML Everything. We are on Medium, we are on GitHub, 
And make sure you check out our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. Check out the tiers and give that a go. Feel free to leave a message or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. And we are signing off. We'll be right back.